thanks again, as always, for listening. I appreciate anybody who listens to even one episode, and I appreciate everyone who's listened to so many. You keep me going. I'm so excited to share that now official on Patreon. You can find my Patreon page, become a member. It's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. Again, that's patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My name, of course, is P-E-T-E-R-R-I-E-H-L. Patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. You can become a member today. The page is officially launched. There are three tiers of membership. Official patron membership tier is $3 a month. And with that, you'll get access to all interview episodes when they're published, mostly on Tuesdays with some published on Fridays. There are two to four interviews published each month. Lastly, you'll receive the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news, and you'll get a shout-out on a future episode. That is the official patron tier of membership for $3 a month. There's the $5 a month for the all-access patron. With the all-access patron membership, you'll have access to all new interview episodes. Each month, like I said, there are two to four interview episodes. You'll get access to those as well as a monthly bonus episode or two that is an interview or an exploration of themes through two or three texts. One example would be an episode that I did called Righteous and Justified Anger that was explored through the works by Langston Hughes and Ralph Ellison, or The Power of Flashback was one episode, which explored the endings of The Godfather Part Two, Sleepers, and that was then, this is now. With the all-access patron membership, you'll also receive a refrigerator magnet with the Chills at Will podcast logo, and the monthly newsletter with reading recommendations, literary event calendar, and the Chills at Will podcast news you will get a shout-out on a future episode, too. With the VIP patron tier, which is $10 a month, you'll get access to all episodes, a monthly newsletter with reading suggestions and a calendar of literary events and updates on the Chills at Will podcast, access to a monthly AMA, Ask Me Anything, and a t-shirt with the Chills at Will podcast logo. There are two to four monthly episodes, and one or two bonus episodes, which are interviews or discussions of themes as seen through multiple texts. VIP patrons will also receive a special shout-out on a future episode. I encourage you to please join Patreon for the Chills at Will podcast. As I say all the time, this is truly a labor of love. This is truly a DIY operation. I started in April of 2020. And it has been an absolute pleasure, 99.999% fun. I've gotten to interview people like Disha Filia, what? Matt Bell, Brandon Hobson, Luis Alberto Orrea, Jean Guerrero, Gustavo Arellano, Taylor Bias, Gabby Bates, Alice Elliott Dark, Nadia Owusu, and so, so, so many more. Did I say Jess Walter? Did I say Jeff Perlman, Ingrid Rojas Contreras, Jamil John Kochai, Morgan Talty, Sadie Shore Parks, 
Rachel Yoder, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal, Kirsten Chen, Sam Quinones, Ion Grillo, Raina Kelly, Zach Harper, Michael Torres, Tracy Cato Kirayama, S.J. Sindhu, Roberto Lovato, Todd Goldberg, Steph Cha, Noel Kassler, Reina Grande, James Tate Hill, Navdeep Dylan Singh, Nikisha Elise Williams, Mia St. John, Susan Muladi Daraj, Sarah Borjas, and the list goes on and on. Future episodes include conversations with Robert Jones Jr., with Allegra Hyde, with Justin Tinsley, Javier Zamora, Tommy Dean, Elizabeth Williamson, Jose Antonio Vargas, Yasmin Ramirez, Kai Harris, Laura Worrell, with Erica Wirth. So, so, so many cool people that I still need to interview that I still look forward to talking to. Patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. What are you waiting for? See you over there. Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Hello and welcome to episode 144. That's 12 times 12. I don't know why this came to my mind. I'm here with Gustavo Barahona Lopez. It's a pleasure to have him. And here's a little bit about him. He's a writer and educator from Richmond, California. In his writing, Barahona Lopez draws from his experience growing up as the son of Mexican immigrants. His micro chat book, Where Will the Children Play, was part of the Ghost City Press 2020 summer series. He was a finalist for the 2021 Quarterly West Poetry Prize. A member of the Writers Grotto and a VONA Vona alum, Barahonas Lopez's work can be found or is forthcoming in Iron Horse Literary Review, Puerto del Sol, The Acentos Review, Apogee Journal, Hayden's Ferry Review, among other publications. Gustavo, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Um, I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's oh. a huge honor. Oh, man, it's an honor to have you. I just uh, swimming in your work, just having read it, you know, the last couple of days. You know, there's a reason why you've you've won these awards, these finalists and and more to come. And seeing the name of your micro chat book, is that a Cat Stevens reference? Uh, no, it's actually a, the, a Mana reference, like ah. a, a t- title of one of their songs, Donde Jugarán Los Niños. Oh, OK. Is that from their Unplugged? Did they do that one on Unplugged? Um, I, I'm, I'm, I don't recall. But... OK. My jam is uh, Los Desaparecidos. Oh, Los Desaparecidos, yeah. And saying that is, you know, awesome. I mean, to make light, that's about like the, the disappeared and such. But yeah, it's, it's yeah, a great, sure. great song, man. Okay, so from Mana, nice. 
I would, um, like I said, an honor to have you. I'd love to know about about growing up. You know, you grew up in Richmond, California, probably an hour and a half here or so from Sacramento here in the Bay mm-hmm. Area. Um, I wonder about, you know, I'll throw a lot at you here, but just like um, language. Did you grow up, you know, completely bilingual? Was it mostly English? Was it mostly Spanish? And just kind of like uh, just stories and, and, and how did the written word come into play as, as when you were a kid? Yeah. Um, so, so both of my parents are, um, immigrants from, um, this like little town in, in Michoacan called hey, the Dutch. Michoacan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're, they're both from the, from the same little town and, and so they knew each other actually, um, uh, growing up before they eventually got married. Oh wow! They, they both independently migrated to the United States and then they they met up back in in Mexico at a dance oh wow <laughs> yeah and then we're <laughs> <started> dating <laughs> but um yeah so so growing up um uh, my, my my mom had a greater command of English but my dad was uh, like I think by choice in part mm-hmm. uh, like largely um spoke Spanish mm-hmm. um and was very um very keen on us knowing Spanish and being being able to talk to him mm-hmm. um, to the point where he would like ban English at the dinner table and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so I I grew up um, speaking Spanish and then and then I actually went into bilingual education. Mm. Uh, like uh, my elementary school um, was a was bil- Spanish English bilingual. Um, so so through fourth grade, uh, like my entire experience mm-hmm. was okay. bilingual. Um, and, and my mom says that I didn't like master English until like fifth grade. Mm-hmm. So it took me a minute. Uh, mm-hmm. so much of my life was in Spanish, but, mm-hmm. uh, but now, um, mo- most of my life has, is in English. And I think in English, even, even though I'm, I'm a Spanish, uh, immersion teacher, mm-hmm. they're a great teacher now, but, mm-hmm. um, most, most of my life is in English now. Hmm. And I think I, I mentioned in a, in a couple of poems, like, oh, yeah, like, I I remember d- dreaming in Spanish, especially when we had gone back to Mexico. Hmm. Um, and and that isn't that hasn't been the case of late. But hmm. um, but I think Spanish has always been and continues to be like a really integral part of, of my life. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So so you, what were you reading um, what was being read to you? What were you? What were the stories you're hearing? What you know? What I guess? What got you into poetry right away, or were you into like fiction? Were you into comic books? Like, what were you reading when you were a kid? Well, I, th- I think a lot of it probably stems from from my dad because he 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 was like a huge storyteller. Mm. He he always loved like talking talking to like older folks because they had like the most interesting stories to tell mm-hmm. so he would recount those or like some of his own and um like modified versions of like the 40 thieves or like oh, okay i don't know like like different like tall tales and stuff mm-hmm. so he he was always very interested in um and in, in telling stories and having conversations with with all sorts of people so i think um I, th- I think a, a lot of my my desire to tell stories um, comes comes from that. Um, and in terms of of reading, I, I was I was really I was always really into like fantasy and in high school like mm-hmm. sci fi, um, in particular, um, and and to some degree poetry. Um, so um, I read 
like Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, and oh yeah, and in seventh grade, like um, I read. I think in my classroom library, uh, there was like The Hobbit or whatever, and I read The Hobbit. Okay. Uh, and then I and then I went to the library and I was like, and and asked the librarian, is there something kind of similar to this, like that I could read? And then she's like, oh, like you don't even know. <laughs> and she, like, they, like point me towards like the the like Lord of the Rings trilogy and everything. Uh... Yeah. Um. So a lot of and Dune. No, no. There's like that movie. Okay. So I read that too. Yeah. Um. And, but in in high school, I was lucky enough to be able to take like a, a Latino lit class. Um, so a, a lot of a lot of poets. Um, uh, actually, um, was lucky enough to like meet Martina Espada. Oh wow! Well, he came to do a talk. Um, and uh, Jane Hirschfield actually as well too. Oh, okay. She also came to my high school. Um, and then. Um, I was always in love with uh, the words of like Federico Garcia Lorca and Emily Dickinson and um, and Neruda. Okay. Uh, were were some of those influences? When you're talking about your dad being such a great storyteller, were, were these you know maybe recounting or his own tall tales? Were these, I mean, were these like incredibly hyperbolic? Was he the hero of the story? Was he like a side character? All of the above, like yeah, um, often. Oftentimes he was he was like the the main character. He was mm-hmm. he was like the mythical beings, so to mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. Like um and, and I referenced one of those stories in, in one of my poems. Like he he talked about being um uh being in this lake and then out of nowhere there's like his huge whirlpool um that starts like sucking him into the, the middle of the lake um and then he talks about how like he prayed to god and then like it gave him like superhuman strength and was able to like uh, allowed him to to like or he he credited it with uh like saving his life so or his faith yeah. saved his life so it's uh definitely um a, a, other stories kind of like similar to that where there's like there's like an epic epic uh to them yeah well i mean have you ever played like armchair psychologist with like talking about reading like fantasy and sci-fi i mean is it just you like them or is it like man it was an escape or it was a way to you know see different worlds or it was safe or yeah i don't know have you ever kind of done any armchair psychology on that um i think um my my childhood was very like constrained in a lot of ways like um other than like academic pursuits usually it was just like staying at home okay um, mostly and and that was largely because my dad didn't like leaving the house mm-hmm. and like for us to to be there as well um so so it, it in many ways was kind of an escape like imagining what could be possible like mm-hmm. i could see myself as like the the hero of one of these stories like oh like i'm getting to explore other worlds or right. explore these like or or like um i mean i'm less of a fan now but like things like harry potter really appealed to me because it's mm-hmm. like oh like maybe i'm like actually gonna get that letter soon like when i turn 11 and then like um i can become a really good wizard and not have to be constrained by by the the rules and of my father you know that didn't happen though. 
Oh no! Oh, I think man. I think it got lost in the mail. Yeah, probably. Yeah, exactly, man. You never know yeah. the postal that postal service, man. Shoot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Those owls. <laughs> right. The I wonder about ideas of like representation. You you took you said you talked about the Latinx literature. What, mm-hmm. what was the class called exactly? I'm sorry. You said like. Uh, it was Latino literature. Was Latino the name of the literature. class? Like. Yeah. Was that was that something that you were like, oh man, I found this. I didn't know I was missing it, or was that something that um, you always knew you were missing? Or how did that kind of work into ideas of representation? Um, I think I think I definitely knew that that I was missing it. Um, I mean, in K through twelve education in general, to to this day, but probably more so then um, is it doesn't have very much representation when it comes to many many ethnic um minorities Mm. and so getting to take that class was like not not many of my my class or my or my friends or people that I knew got a chance to take a class like that Mm. um and um I think I, I was actually a um like a double major American studies and political science mm. um, double major in, in college. Um, but that my concentration was in Chicano studies. Okay. So like that lack of representation, that lack of like historical knowledge or understanding, like kind of propelled me to like seek it out at the college level. And then, and then actually I, I started a PhD program uh, in Chicano studies at, at UC Santa Barbara oh, as wow. well. So I was very much uh, dedicated to the idea of of knowing like my history, my family's history, and yeah. yeah. Who who for you are some of the titans? You know, I mean, as you got into college, like you said, and and, and mm-hmm. beyond, just you know, the name of the podcast, the chills at will, the those lines that you can you can cite, those lines that you can repeat, those lines that you can bring up, you know, at will. They they give you the chills like like you know a great song or something like that. Not that you have to have it memorized, but who yeah, who yeah. are some of these titans? Who are some of these writers who you just um just, who just thrilled you and kind of like the double thing where it's like dang that's unbelievable and like how does somebody do that like in awe? Um, I think well the like Al- Alorista's poem and now now I'm gonna blank on it of course. Um, what's it called? Uh, Yo soy Joaquin. Okay. Uh, this is one of those. It's um, it's just like the epic poem where, um, like it was, it was one of the kind of like anthems of the Chicano movement almost, mm. um, where it it talked about like, like um, indigeneity and um, like the the conquest and and like the struggle of of the Mexican people um throughout history and and Chicano people throughout history, mm. um, so that that was always something that is i think found i think foundational for kind of like chicano studies and um and yeah the the way that and and the, and the chicano movement it encapsulated a lot of a lot of the sort of mentality and desire to um to expand like the greatness of of, of marginalized people mm. like m- more recently like it's like I've learned or or like in, in seeing a lot of the critiques, like I can understand them more. But at the time of, of like college and graduate school, like uh, Gloria Ansaldua was a huge influence okay. um, because um, I hadn't 
had it was the, my first time seeing um like a, a lot of things that i felt like represented on the page right um so both through her poetry and more like kind of i feel like it was like kind of a hybrid work in in many ways mm. um but like like she has a section that talks about um having like seven tongues and and like in the ways that in which code switching happens like Tejano Spanish like Me Mexican Spanish like oh, wow. all these different like variation ways in which there are variations even within the languages and mm. the combinations thereof um so those those concepts and the those that way of of thinking was was also very influential to me mm. um and then I really really love the work of uh Tomas Rivera um okay. like the um the the devourer and and the title of my book is kind of like an homage to like uh Ino se lo tra trago la tierra like and, and the earth did not devour him um so it's um yeah it, again it was like one of the first instances where i had ever seen spanish like my dad spoke spanish like my cousins and my uncles spoke spanish and my mom um and and the types of um like like it's written in like vignettes so like these tiny stories so it's mm. so like there's like there's like an overarching narrative but it's almost like little cheese mess like little okay. little or it reminded me of like my mom telling me it's like oh like you know like that that your second cousin is like is getting married or like they this other person like they they had an accident and blah 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 okay so so it kind of had that collect almost like collective like narrative mm. um aspect to it that almost creates a collective consciousness for oh. for a community does he have different narrators if i recall I can't remember if it's like primary. I think it's primarily in third person, if I'm remembering correctly, but I'm like completely wrong on that. Yeah. Well, no. So I appreciate that too. The, you know, I, I hear a lot, you know, in, in Spanish that el dragon, you know, he just ate three pieces of pizza in, in a minute, dragon, dragon. So I appreciate <laughs> that, that, you know, that I guess the translation would be to devour, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's más que comer, comer, pero tragar. So, mm. so you talk about from the, the Rivera poem or from the Rivera title. I appreciate that. I think it's maybe maybe UC Riverside has a Tomas Rivera Award mm -hmm. or department or yeah. chair or something, you know, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. You know, as we've gotten into more current times and as you you read as a as a writer. You know, who are who are some of the other poets who really I mean, you have a, a great list and the acknowledgments and people who helped you and, you know, with the with editing and and such and revising or just with inspiration. But, yeah, who are some of those people who are, who are writing now, who are creating now, who really keep you going and, and impress you? Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, Eduardo Corral is, is a huge inspiration. Um, so. Um, yeah, slow lightning and and guillotine uh, have been pretty pretty key. Like uh, I hear uh, his name a lot as an inspiration. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, and also uh, Vanessa Angelica Villarreal is another poet that I really admire. 
Um, he's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Beast Meridian is, is. Yeah, and I think I still I think it's up here somewhere. Yeah, hiding behind Biggie maybe. <laughs> up there, one of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, Alan Alan Chasaro has been a huge, uh, oh man, oh yeah, like an influence and mentor as well. So I, I always appreciate him. Um, and uh, Mario uh, Leon, okay, as well. Um, she has, um, yeah, she's also been a, a really fantastic mentor in in her, um, her. Like I, I write a lot about grief, and so I, I draw a lot from, mm-hmm. from uh, her, her, um, her conversation and like the reaching and and longing that that exists in her poems. Like, um, she has this um, series of poems that that I'll begin with, like suppose, mm. um, and then it's creating like alternate. Um, almost like alternate universes where like in her case like her her dad um doesn't pass away um at an early age and um which was i think it was just published in the new yorker if i'm not mistaken but some of those poems from that series um so yeah her her work is amazing um um then um marcello um, and then there's Castillo as well. Yeah. yeah. He's he's doing the poem of poem of the day. I think he's Yeah, yeah. This, month, so. uh-huh, this this yeah. month, yeah. Um and and not only his his poetry collection, but also his uh, memoir. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 He's a he's a NorCal guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, he uh he he blurbed um the the chapbook. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a heck of a list. Um, I'm talking evolution. I don't mean evolution like Charles Darwin evolution, but evolution mm-hmm. comes up a lot in your work. And like, you know, you talk about um, which which hits hits so hits so home. I don't know if that makes sense. Hit <laughs> home for me with you know like the evolution of grief mm-hmm. because it doesn't go away. It changes. It morphs. It's stronger one day and stronger one minute, and we you know are different. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, but just going back to your studies, like. Did you study a lot of like the history of Chicano like movement in that, like, you know, the evolution when I, if you would ask me like 20 years ago, what I thought of when I heard Chicano, I thought of, I would think of like politically active, mm-hmm. right? Like in the 60s and 70s, like brown power movement. And, yeah. and, you know, I know some people will will have, see it as a negative. It's like the same as Pocho or it's the same as whitewashed or, or you know, whatever mm-hmm. Americanized or whatever. I wonder what kind of how you've if you've seen like an evolution in the term Chicano just in the way you've studied it, and or how that maybe comes out in your work. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Have a rambling question. <laughs> I, I think you're right um, in that there there's an association with. I mean, it, originally uh, it was considered more of a, a prerogative term. Okay. Um. Uh, as, as far as I understand it, um, but then I was kind of reclaimed as as a like source of pride and mm-hmm. indicate like like you said brown power, um, trying to trace back roots. Um, I was uh, whenever whenever I would start like one of the like Chicano history one hundred and one classes, I would talk about how like um, it's it's not it's not this this degree now, but um but there's there's a time when mexican was considered a dirty word and 
part of part of uh like reclaiming the term Chicano was trying to reconnect it back to um to kind of like the the former glory of like the Aztec Empire and like mm -hmm. trying to get to those or the Mayan empires and and like those um like kind of acknowledging the 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 successes and technological advancements and mm. and and genius of of that uh, of of our historical lineage right mm -hmm. um actually i i uh, in college i asked one of my professors um it's like i don't know if i can call myself a chicano and then i was cuz i didn't feel like i was an, enough of an activist uh, uh, at the time um, and then he kind of gave me an answer like it's it's like constantly changing term like you can um, like it's it, it's it's already morphed throughout history mm. um, and it'll it'll continue to change mm. but um, I think I think that part of part of my work is kind of um kind of like complicating uh what the what the experience of being Mexican American is. Mm. Um purposely just, complicating. Yeah, purposefully complicating. Yeah. Uh -huh. Or 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 like um kind of talking about like the the nuances and the and the diversity within the community mm -hmm. um because um sometimes or or like um the the chicano movement did so many wonderful things and opened so many doors but part of it would, was also like there's there kind of like a homogenizing effort like mm -hmm. in, in some ways you know like um like certain people could be considered part of it, but then others were not. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really concerned with the kind of like losses of, of heritage of the, the losses of connection to indigeneity mm -hmm. because I was even, even as I was learning about it in, in my college and even as I was trying to like, it's like hone in on, it's like, Oh, like, Huitzilopochtli and Kualikwe, like they're they're like so incredible and like mm -hmm. and everything, but but it it all it always was uncomfortable for me to claim them mm. because my family didn't have like any like like any sort of those indigenous practices other than I mean like there's there's an argument that. Like the Virgen de Guadalupe, for example, it, in many ways was like combined with Guadalupe, and that's how okay. how it was accepted as a figure, or, or she was accepted as a figure. But but I, I didn't feel that I could claim indigeneity, right, or oh. claim, claim a direct connection to indigeneity, like like many many more recent immigrants and children of immigrants mm -hmm. can, and and that that's a loss. That's a type of loss, right. Um, it's not that I don't want to be connected to it, or it's mm -hmm. not that I that I look down on it, or in any shape or way or form, right. anyway. But I, I feel uncomfortable claiming it as mm -hmm. as my own. Well, one of the lines from one of your one of the poems, and we're, we're talk about the book, 
you know, kind of transition to that is um, one of the lines was, quote, used to obsess over Aztec deities as if they could quell my hunger for place. Right. You were just talking about the the we we potly. Did I say that correctly? Uh, and just uh, I mean, first of all, that's a bar. Right? That's a great line. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a lot there about bilingualism and, you know, even to say by, I mean, like you said, try or whatever for is quite quite, you know. This idea mm-hmm. of like multiple languages was, you know, the the Purepecha, the the Spanish, the Eng- you know, there's it's not just by culture. And like you said, it's just so many subtleties and nuances. You know, that comes through for sure. This idea of the Chicanismo, if you will. You referenced, sorry, help me with her, Gloria and- Andalusa? Uh, uh, Gloria Ansaldua. Ansaldua. And I know she, you you reference you you write about Napantla and she writes mm-hmm. about that Vanessa Angelica Villarreal writes about that beautifully about this this in between land right mm-hmm. is that an oversimplification of Napantla? Yeah, it's kind of like a, a liminal space. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah. Okay. All right. If any if anybody at home is playing a drinking game, anybody anytime a poet says liminal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot. But so you know, there's that in between. I think it's maybe the it's third or fourth poem in the collection, maybe even earlier, is called Convivir Does Not Mean to Live Together. That's the that's the title. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love that this idea of like, you know, things don't translate one for one, right? Mm-hmm. It's, quote, to be present, you know, the community, breaking bread together. You reference how goal in English and goal, you know, G-O-L. The first, the first one's weak and the latter one is an experience, right? The difference between a huera, maybe a light-skinned blonde, you know, Latina or Mexicana, versus the gringo who, that was great when he said, you know, tried to say two words, you know, said two phrases and wanted praise kind of thing. You know, always always, um, apt, but this idea of like the, you know, the person who's come across the border as a survivor, he deserves a towel, he deserves, you know, a place to relax versus the way that's often, you know, shown in the media and such, right? Mm -hmm. And just about, you know, trips to Mexico and again, and you know, I don't want to say it's you, but the speaker, <laughs> you can you can say what you want about that. But you know, trips to Mexico, you write about prayers that are uneven because you don't know the God's names, the languages being imposed and forgotten. And I'm rambling here, but just the idea of like how the languages are different. There's not exactly they're not exactly the same. There's not a one for one translation. And this idea of maybe being self conscious at times, right? Mm-hmm. Not knowing this, not knowing that. I wonder how much biculturalism, biculturalism, bilingualism was on your mind as you wrote this collection. It, it very much was uh, part of it. There, it, it's funny because, like, in the, there are certain poems that I could only write in Spanish. Mm. Like, um, like there, there's one poem um, that that's, um, I, I think you. We're going to talk about it a little bit later, but uh, Mi Padre es el más fuerte del mundo. Yes. So, so originally I had, uh, I had a, the, it, I wrote it in, in Spanish, but um, I had translated it for the collection mm-hmm. uh, for accessibility and everything. But then it, it just didn't, it didn't hit the same. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't, it didn't do the work that I wanted it to do in, in English. And so, uh, the my my editor for this collection, um, uh, Reina Leon, um, did the the kindest thing and gave me permission to not include it. <laughs> mm. 
it was like yeah if it's not doing the work if it's not doing what you want then then you don't need to include it like some some people are not going to have um are not going to be able to access it in the same way but it's it, it's your collection it's it's how, how you want to communicate and it was mm-hmm. very important to me to have that be in spanish because it that that moment was very much like in like that that's how i was thinking about it Yeah, so the so you talk about mi padre el más fuerte del mundo, and you said you know it had to be in Spanish. It did it it, it hit differently, and it mm-hmm. does. Um, I'm mean, obviously there's a lot of overlap. I mean, there's a lot about masculinity and about your relationship with your father or the speaker's relationship with his father. But you know, as far as the bilingualism or biculturalism, the the poem, you know, a lot of O's. If we're talking the L form, right? Trabajó, sobrevivió, cre cruzó. Se casó, mm-hmm. all about your father, right? And it, you know, I'm just on a sound level, on a on a craft level, it just works. And then um, it goes into the you know to the yo form, talking about yourself or talking about the speaker, and just you know it serves as like a natural juxtaposition, right? Not that everything is different between the two, mm-hmm. um, but it it just works so well. Um, some of the lines it starts off, mi padre trabajó desde los cinco años. Trabajó para mantener a sus hermanos. How, we, I think we all have people in our lives like your father. How do we, how do we live up to, to something that's like unlivable, unlive up to a bull, you know, or, or more so like, you know, you weren't forced to work at five, right. To keep mm-hmm. your family safe. Like how do we live in that space where we can idolize, but also not hold ourselves up to that standard. So I'm asking you a huge question. <laughs> Yeah. Can you explain this to the world, please, so we can all <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is something that I struggled with for a long time. Um, like, um, I think at some point I wrote something like, like, I almost saw myself as an extension of my, of the sacrifices of my parents. Wow, yeah. Um, so it's, it's a huge burden and, mm-hmm. and one um, that... Honestly, I wouldn't want on anyone mm. um, because um, it's it, it's daunting. Um, mm. and it, it meant that I um, like put in a lot of effort in in the area that was that I was strongest in, which was academically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it very much propelled me to have have a certain level of academic success. Um, but at the same time, it. I think it contributed to a lot of mental health um, mm-hmm. issues as well, yeah. uh, where I, I didn't feel like I was good enough or I felt that in some ways uh, my parents' love was contingent on that that academic success. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, and, and I still struggle with it, but I'm trying to um, just be able to experience joy and and kind of know that my parents that 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 in many ways that's what they really, truly wanted for me right that right 
have to have joy to to be able to have experiences and opportunities that they never had mm-hmm. um, likewise with my kids like i want them i want them to have um to be able to experience and seek joy um in a way that's not tied to to me right independent of me right. um because um yeah they're 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 their own people and mm-hmm. um yeah thanks. thank you thank you there's there's that's very deep and and the 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 poetry definitely makes you think i like you know the idea of being successful independent of of us of your parents you know there's definitely an awe awe an awe that comes through in that poem and the others you know for your father the like you talked about just an admiration for the incredible amount of sacrifice one of the lines is mi padre es una indomable fuerza con un poder infinito and you know the idea again of uh, el trabajo para asegurar nuestro futuro so right so he worked so hard to 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 make sure we had a beautiful future you write i think in that poem about semeva se comes up twice and it's incredibly powerful talking about you know the loss of your father and it's se me va se me va and the second time is porque no necesita dios because god needed him right yeah so you know like i said you know i again want to express the the condolences for your father and and writing about him i know it's got to be beautiful and sad and and all of the above mm-hmm. um i wonder how i wonder you know on the positive side on the awe side the idea of the good things that the great things that your father passed on that come through in the poetry come through in the collection well I definitely like his storytelling um no just just the idea of like like we talked about the sacrifice and that comes through from the speaker's point of view uh, definitely an awe and, and a reverence for that um one of the poems is license to live and i mean i took it as like a, a passing on of the id like the driver's license, mm-hmm. you know, what it brought and just with, you know, the hologram that we all can all picture, like the, the shiny thing on the, on the license and just like the memories that linger right from that. And just a, like a physical representation or remembrance of your father, you know? So of course there's, there's, a, there's a lot of grief. One of the poems, right. It, the quote is quote, all my questions flock into my mind. I am not vessel enough to contain them. And I just think that that sums up grief so well. I can't I can't contain them. You know, it's I'm not a vessel enough. Dreams come through, uh, for sure. Um, I know all those of us who have lost loved ones. You know, the idea of the dream. You wrote about one dream where the the speaker pushes the father to see, and you write that he he rematerializes basically that the father won't let me touch him. He will not let me hold is the way that poem ends. He will not let me hold. Mm-hmm. Let me hold him. Let me hold together as a person. I wonder what kind of you meant with that line. He will not let me hold. Yeah, um, I think hold on to him. But but I also like, well, I was trying to play with the, the meaning a little bit. Mm-hmm. But just hold on to myself in some ways. To... Yeah um hold on to his memory yeah because it's it's part of that uh 
that set of three where it's um three three dreams right uh-huh like after after his passing right so it's really about trying to hold on to his memory and mm-hmm. i think and in, in some ways also me or, or the, the speaker mm-hmm. um pushing <laughs> also like there being some resistance to it too like mm-hmm. like pushing certain aspects of him away too mm-hmm. thank you um you know obviously masculinity is a big theme runs throughout um waterfall waterfall duplex is one of the earlier poems some of the lines are quote father told me i should never cry um this idea of the father like hiding from the sunlight the narrator saying he can't name his fears um the way that pendejo from the father hurts way more than english you know put all the curse words together that's from convivir how to make a man was a really interesting poem because it's all in second person you know it reads like a jamaica kincaid or Lori moore i wonder kind of kind of random but i wonder if you've ever heard the song is a johnny cash song boy named sue um i don't think so now so the song is basically about you know this father names his son sue hmm. this idea is that he wants to prepare his son for the tough world out there right and the, so the kid gets clowned on he gets made fun of he gets ripped on he, mm-hmm. he's very upset at his dad and his dad at the end is basically like i did this to like harden you to the world hmm you know, like I knew this tough world out there. Um, so, you know, it's one of the lines is, quote, tell him he is useless just enough for him to believe. And I just was reminded of that Johnny Cash song and ideas of the skin like leather uh, and about like hardening. How when we talk about tough love that came through, like in those poems, mm-hmm. did do you see the love more like every day, every year as, as, as you mourn your father, do you see the love that came from the tough love? I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit complex again, um, because like the, the, the Padre and, and me, Padre and del Mundo, mm-hmm. um, I wrote that poem when, um, when I found out cancer. Mm. So I wrote it actually like at the nurse's station, mm-hmm. um, uh, after right after I found out, and it's almost verbatim what I wrote. Okay. Seventeen, yeah. Um, so I think that that was more my like initial mm-hmm. kind of view of him, like larger than life. Like he was, um, like I think the line is like, um, "Mi padre, mi dios." Mm. Um, so, but kind of as as I, I went to college as as i as i grew into adulthood mm-hmm. um i began to learn that not everyone's childhood was the way that mine was sure. like not not everything um not everyone had kind of like this idea of like the patriarch and that has like complete control and in some ways was kind of like socializing me to to replicate that mm. and and growing up i always felt like I didn't fit into that archetype mm-hmm. um like I was uh, I was a crybaby right when when my dad was telling me not to cry and mm-hmm. I preferred like reading and like playing sports or like doing or like doing weights or whatever mm-hmm. um so I, I didn't I didn't feel like I fit that that ideal that my dad wanted for me um and so I think that I um, 
kind of pushed away some of the or or kind of like worked against some of that socialization or that mm -hmm. way um or that that learning i try to undo some of that that learning mm -hmm. up of uh that those bit patriarchal and and in many ways misogynistic based on thinking right. um and yeah so so i think that that uh that speaks to like the evolution of, of the grief. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's like wholesale, like acceptance and, and despair over his loss. And then, and then it becomes more nuanced over time as, mm -hmm. as I understand um, myself in, in relation to him and, mm -hmm. and also learn more about him. Um, right. Um, and then, and then finally, like, with my children like when my when my son was born and now suddenly i'm making decisions about how to parent and how to discipline and how how to um encourage and help my my son and, and my daughter grow um it also makes me reflect it's like oh well the, there are these things that i really really love like like they're like specific games that like my dad would play with me that mm. I, I play with my children or like different sayings or songs that I sing mm. to them, stories that I tell them. So like, um, and uh, my dad was always like really like physically affectionate. So like he would like mm. hug us and kiss us a lot, which isn't, isn't as, as typical of, of someone who's like, uh, yeah. um, like kind of a macho man sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so so there are a lot of like wonderful things and um that um that definitely are incorporated into my parenting style. Mm -hmm. That are also things that I'm actively uh, against or, or like trying to undo and mm -hmm. and like sometimes I still fall into them because it's what I know. Mm-hmm um and and so there's a lot of internal work that goes on to try to limit how much that happens or like think sure. through why why that is but um but yeah it's it's not like complex personhood he's he they're they're I, I miss him every day um there there's still days where um like like recently my my son has started asking about him more um it's like oh like your dad died um right a long time ago and say so, yeah he he died a long time ago he would have really liked to meet you mm. sort of thing um but um so there's that but then i'm also like like damn dad like you really really fucked me up in some ways mm -hmm. yeah yeah, and, and we can we can hold both of those in balance. And you, um, I mean, the book, the love, the love for your father, for sure, comes through. The lessons he imparted, mm -hmm. um, you know. But like you said, complicated, complicated the way that you you, it's it's that you've reacted to complicated the way uh, the man that he was, like all of us. Thank you so much for you know for for putting a spin on is not the way to put it, but just you know ideas of masculinity and and really challenging that, and that comes through in the collection for sure one of the lines that really just stood out to me was like, wow, it's, um, this isn't how to make a man. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like the classic, like dad, 
was bragging kind of about, you know, having different girls, um, you know, kind of, you know, like the, kind of the traditional like tough guy things like, oh, yeah, I got a lot of girls. You got any girlfriends? And the last stanza is, quote, apologize for what we've become after a few beers. And I just that line, apologize for what we've become, um, just really stood out to me. How how immediate was that? Like in that how much was that like an apology in the moment? How much did you feel like that like covers so much? Like for what we've become, I guess is what is what I was wondering about what that means. And it was so powerful. Yeah. Um well, what I have think... we become? What had you become? Um, I think well that that uh that that like archetype of the like toxic man right mm -hmm. or toxic masculinity like um like my dad he um he always wanted the blinds closed um okay. actually there's a there's a poem and yeah right, um about that um I always wanted the blinds closed and when my mom like opened the blinds he like threw one of her pots and like her which were mm. like her treasures right like oh, and, man in the in the on the concrete in the backyard like um and and in some ways i i have that in me like that's part mm -hmm. of that's part of my makeup um like i've i think i worked very hard to kind of internalize a lot of my feelings and mm -hmm. and and like i was afraid of my own rage and my own voice in many ways um so I think I think that apologize for what we have become is it is kind of like more more general to to a lot of men to to mm. be honest um mm. right so like the the these kind of um ways in which there there's that capacity for harm of others mm -hmm. um and and that's kind of what I was what I was getting at. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's not you know it's 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 a collection a lot of about a lot of grief, but I don't you know there's no, it's not all pessimism pessimism. Even I don't know even that line what have what we have become even the we to me was almost like optimistic or at least not pessimistic. There's a there's a we there's a collective you know mm -hmm. um, there's a a joining together of family of father and son. The I haven't done a good job, you know, introducing the, you know, even talking about the the collection, right? The collection, <laughs> it was published by. Remind me of the publisher, uh, Nomadic Nomadic, Nomadic Press, right? It's called Loss and Other Rivers That Devour. Um, there's a preface, you know, that references loss and grief as quote ever evolving. In the end notes, there's a beautiful, um, you know not the end notes, like the acknowledgments, a beautiful uh, tribute to your father, quote, más que una década después de su muerte, el dolor sigue allí persistiendo y evolucionando. Mm -hmm. Sorry, the usage of usted with your father, did you, did you reference your father as usted when he was living? Was that mm -hmm. something that was demanded of him? Was that something that was kind of an unwritten rule? Like, yeah, it was it was it was expectation. Like with any any adults, um, we would always use a step. Mm -hmm. Um, and to the point where like I have parent teacher conferences, mm -hmm. you know, 
and then I still like used to stay with the parents. But now, now uh, many of them are like my same age, so they're like okay. kind of <laughs> looking at me weird. <laughs> but um, yeah, oh, okay. So yeah, that was that was the expectation at, at our house. Well, you know, the whole collection is a beautiful tribute to him. What what are these rivers that you reference in the title? Um, I think it was um kind of different different time at like uh, the the organizing principle was like talking about the grief of our father, right? Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to talk about other griefs, so like the loss right. of, of heritage, the mm-hmm. loss of language. Um, but also, um, like the violences at the U.S.-Mexico border. Hmm. Um, so, like the like of of the poem of Jacqueline Calmaquin, mm-hmm. who was in border patrol custody, mm-hmm. and a couple of the poems also like speak to just the the violence of our immigration system mm-hmm. and, and the impacts of of that on on people's lives. Um, so, just thinking about a lot of a, a lot of losses and among and, and grief yeah yeah i mean i felt the poem about jacqueline was maybe only could have been written by a father you know what i mean maybe just the way that you know you you, you wrote about her life and just so many like questions about what she thought you know just not knowing so much and just you know having those innocent students in front of you as we always you know tend to see students as innocent Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, um, you know, you talk about Borderlands and the pipeline. There's there's a there's a the poem. I know it has bridge in the title. It's something about building a bridge, maybe um, retrofitting bridges, retrofitting. Exactly. And just so much about contradictions and, and in-betweens. And I think it's a good place to, to kind of end in that, you know, it's so much about what your father has given you, what your mother has given you, what your background, what all of us, all of us are just a, a you know, we're a we're just we're a mixture. Quote, you are not just you. You are a culmination of every book, limestone, conspiracy, oppression, empathy, and all else you have experienced. You have taken from every person just as you have given. On this day I want you to know that I love you, especially when I hate you. Protection for the Casa Triste, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I become the orchard and the railroad. Just so many like if they're not in direct opposition, so many, so much juxtaposition. And this goes throughout the whole collection. Um, it makes you sad, makes you happy. It makes you think as someone who, unfortunately, I think a lot of us have experienced grief in some way. Your, your line about quote, he wishes, or he wishes they had shared a proper goodbye before each became a ghost of what they had once been a father, son, and the Holy spirit gone. And, you know, so, Thank you so much for putting on paper this idea like that we are all ghosts of what we were before. You know, once someone has passed away, we're just I mean it's it's obvious to say but we are just not the same. Yeah. Right? And and I know, you know, for the better in in many ways, but we're just we're just not the same. That just uh, rang so true to me and I know it rings so true to your readers. Grief is incredibly in my limited experience incredibly hard to write about. So thank you for writing about it. I hope it was in some way cathartic for you was it <laughs> uh, yeah and in some ways like um i think 
I think since I'd spent so much of my childhood kind of repressing my emotions, like mm-hmm. being able to write about things was like almost a way to discover them, like what right. I actually felt. So like I remember writing uh green at the, mm-hmm. the poem Green, How I Love You Green. Mm-hmm. Um like like based off or yeah, I kind of borrowed it from uh from Lorca. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um but um yeah, so about yeah, vines was, and about like mom having like a green what do you call it, a green thumb, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was well, it was um about an instance when my when my dad um actually like um like put his hands around my my mom's neck mm. once um in in anger um and and like sh- they called the police and and everything like the neighbors called the police um and um i just remember like finishing that poem and then just crying like mm. like for I don't know how long. Um, and I think in, in writing this collection, it's helped me process a lot of those feelings, a lot of a lot of that grief and mm-hmm. understand it better. Um, and yeah, and understand both my dad and, and myself better mm-hmm. um, in, in thinking it through. And because, I mean, one of the beauties of poetry is that sometimes, like, metaphors can feel more real than, mm. than just, like, a straight description of, right. of this happening. Like, right. um, in those metaphors, you can discover things that you, you didn't know. Mm-hmm. As we wrap up, I'd love uh, to you talk about future. It sounds like you have some cool um, news and some things coming out. And then if, if you're up to it, totally up to you if you want to read a poem or two or, of your choice or whatever. But I'd love to know what's what's coming up. Um, yeah, so um I am really happy to um or about the fact that I'm gonna have my debut full length collection um yes. Flower Song Press. Yes. Um yeah, so it's it's called Foundation. Okay. Um so it's it very much is is like building from uh, from this uh the chapbook mm-hmm. uh lost another rivers of devour they they share some poems but not not okay. all um yeah so that'll that'll be out in in 2023 all right uh, so not not too far yeah um yeah and then and then you mentioned reading a couple poems <laughs> totally up to you if, if you read or whatever you read but we'd love to hear okay I think I'll read two. So since we talked about her a lot, so mi padre. Excellent. Alrighty. Mi padre, el más fuerte del mundo. Mi padre trabajó desde los cinco años. Trabajó para mantener a sus hermanos. Sobrevivió lo más duro de la vida. Cruzó al país la oportunidad. Se casó con una de sus muchas seguidoras con mi mamá. Trabajó para asegurar nuestro futuro. Quedó deshabilitado en el trabajo. Mi padre es una indomable fuerza, con un poder infinito, con una mente de genio. Lo único que le faltó fue oportunidad, que este país no le brindó, pero que ahora me brinda a mí. 
aunque estaba deshabilitado, podía noquear a cualquiera, hasta el mismo Julio César Chávez. Yo trato de describir su grandeza, pero no creo que sea posible hacerlo. Pero este es un esfuerzo. Nací idéntico, su reencarnación en vida. Un clon, un hermano gemelo, menor por solo unas décadas. Los mismos ojos, el mismo pelo, la misma mente, el mismo amor por la familia. Pudo haber sido grande, pudo haber sido casi un dios en ojos estadounidenses, pero tuvo que trabajar por su familia amada. Padre mi guía, Padre mi Dios, lo amamos por ello. 95% cáncer, páncreas. Hijo de Dios, seguidor bendito, se me va porque es necesitado en lo más alto del cielo. Se me va porque lo necesita Dios. Beautiful. Thank you. It's, 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 an, it's another thing altogether to hear you read it. So really appreciate that. It, it took on another life for sure. When you talk about mantener los, los hermanos, something to that effect, mm -hmm. that doesn't, that, that to me rings out like, you know, that doesn't have an English translation exactly, right? I mean, mantener. to take care of, to keep, to. Yeah, it's like another it, one. Yeah. Yeah, I should have put that one into the convivir poem too. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the usage of, of brinda, what is brinda? Um, I think in this context, like to to give, to offer. Okay, like a brindis, like a toast. Okay, okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah. So the so the United States did not give him or offer him opportunity, right. but it offers it to me. Oh man, that idea of like being a, a genio, un genio, pero no tiene, no tenía oportunidad is is you know heartbreaking. Um. And those last lines, I mean, talk about a, those last lines of the poem as a whole. You talk about like a reverence, like a, you know, el, el lugar más, más alto, algo así. Wow. Yeah. Thank you um, for sharing that. Yeah. My dad would always say, um, uh, well, I, I would ask him, it's like, are, are you afraid to die? And then he would say, no, because, um, uh, because if God needs me, I'm here for him. Wow um and so that's kind of where that line comes from yeah wow um and then so i'll, I'll read one more awesome uh, longer one so it's actually the title poem to my um to my uh full length oh cool <laughs> yeah so it's also in here but uh foundation one november 18 1993 I've seen Time Magazine's The New Face of America before. She is my sister or my cousin or that distant auntie, the auntie that calls indígenas savages. America is computer-generated familial, morphing to create the kind of offspring that can eat the sun whole. Her eyes sing an egalitarian promise, but I know when she lies. The nation desires brown flesh only as long as it remains theoretical. Like a costume, it uses to scare itself in the mirror. 
Rejected, I used to obsess over Aztec deities as if they could quell my hunger for place. Mestizaje offered fortification from empire with empire. But when I spoke to my mother about Gualicue, she could not see herself in the earth. Pray to the Virgen de Guadalupe instead. If only my ancestors still talked to me, perhaps I would not be at the whim of reimagined nationhood. Two. DNA test tries to tell me that I am not who I imagine myself to be. Percentage points are allotted to scattered kin who may or may not know I exist. Continents pangea into one another like a collapsing star. The gods I was supposed to worship dance upon my cartography. The god I learned to worship becomes ink. Catholicism drips from my, my map like a stain. I trace voyages along oceans, chart the trails that allegedly led to my conception. I never take a DNA test. Three, my past holds too many secrets I will never hear. A story of silences subdued. Where do I come from? A breath, a breaking, a dream realized. I am a place reaching for its own foundation. Four, please forgive me for forgetting that which I never witnessed. Miss, I was never told. I know I've been a bad son, but remember I am but a pebble thrown into the river of time. I can build a dam, but not alone. I can remake myself, but not alone. I will not speak for you. I haven't the right to. You do not know who I am. Perhaps you know exactly where I've been. I welcome you into the caverns within me. Be sure not to get lost among the crystals. I want to anchor my dream of a decolonial somewhere to your being. How can I know something different without tracing something different? How do I build from a corroded base? Five. My three languages are colonized. Como serpientes me envuelven, a patchwork of scales and skin. Me asusta la fuerza de mi voz. My sharp words cause ruptures. And Nepantna, pero esa palabra is not mine to claim, not mine. Quisiera tanto tener comunidad to know the original source. Mi cultura, pero nunca lo sabré. I search inside my own becoming. Busco mi pasado en lo que seré. Man, so glad you read that one. That last line, whew, I look for my past and what I will become. Man, heck of a line. Um, the idea of me asusta, almost like something outside. It scares me. It scares me. It's almost like a its own being, its own object. Um, and the, the way that you started off with that, thank you for sending me down the Wikipedia or the Google search for that 1993 cover. I found it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll definitely share it with the listeners. Um, but but yeah, just the idea of like, this is what our world is going to look like. And you talked about earlier about a homogenization and mm -hmm. and all the negativity that could come from that and and often has come from that. Um, but yeah, there's just so much going on in that poem. And I, I'll probably mess it up by talking more about it. So it stands on its own. Appreciate that. Thanks for letting us get inside the lab um, <laughs> that is your brain. And thanks for letting us, um, thanks for talking about some really tough subjects. I appreciate that. And I know it came out in your poems and it wasn't anything new, but I know it's not easy to, to talk about. But again, thanks for writing about grief and masculinity, which are things that so many of us need to need to learn about, read about, find out about it and explore on our own. 
I want to wish you great luck in the future. So awesome that foundation is coming out. And again, just been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to chat with you and for, for your great questions as well. Like um, they definitely um, help spark a lot of, a lot of thinking for me and as well. I appreciate that. Mad cheesy, but I'm going to say it. The only thing I didn't like about the book was that it had to end, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's like, I'm, so I'm glad there's a, I'm glad foundation's coming out in the full length. So I'm looking forward to that. And it sounds like two, 2023 is so far away, but it's what, two months away, three months away. Yeah, it's not <laughs> so, too far away. Yeah. Right. So maybe we'll have you on down the road when, uh, when, when the another collection comes out or anything down the road, I'd love to to talk to you more. And anytime you're in Cali, let's maybe get together in NorCal. Yeah. Sounds great. Take care, man. Thank you. you. Thank you again to Gustavo for writing such an incredible book that deals with grief and masculinity and really leaves the reader thinking. And thanks again to Gustavo for letting us into his lab, letting us into his brain. Really enjoyed reading the book and talking to him. You can now subscribe to the Chills at Will podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. You can also ask for it by name using Alexa and find it on Stitcher, Spotify, and on Amazon Music. Follow me on Instagram where I'm at Chills at Will podcast or on Twitter where I'm at Chills at Will PO1. You can watch this and other episodes on YouTube. Watch and subscribe to the Chills at Will podcast channel. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills of Will podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 145 with Vanessa B., who is, quote, a consumer protection lawyer with a freelancing habit, unquote. She is primarily interested in inequality, corporate power, the American left, and Washington, D.C., and she also loves a good, meandering essay. Her experimental memoir, Homebound, An Uprooted Daughter's Reflections on Belonging, will publish on October 11th, and this episode with Vanessa B. will air on October 11th. For now, thanks again for listening, and I hope that these quarantine days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Gustavo Barahona Lopez, whose work, like Loss and Other Rivers That Devour, give you chills at will. And now what are you waiting for? Go check me out on Patreon. Look forward to having you become a member of Patreon. Mm -hmm.